Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi everybody, this is Ricky Wilde and this is Unsung Heroes. Thank you for joining us. This week we have Gary Osborne. Um, He's an absolute legend. Again, you might not know his name, but he's been behind so many massive hits. War of the Worlds, he wrote with Jeff Wayne, he did all the lyrics. Forever Autumn, probably one of my all-time favourite songs. Um, He also wrote Part-Time Love with Elton John, uh, Little Genie, Blue Eyes. I mean, what a beautiful song. He had a huge number one with Kiki D um, with a track called Amor which was absolutely beautiful I mean it's so diverse he also wrote uh, Check It Out for Little Chris he's had tracks covered by Alice Cooper Cliff Richard Wilson Pickett Jennifer Warnes Righteous Brothers Uh, I mean the list goes on he's done everything there is to do when it comes to the writing process and the lyrical process he's a fascinating guy we went up to his place up in St John's Wood and um, there was me, Lee and Jake and we just had a most lovely chat with him so yeah, let's just get straight into this ladies and gentlemen on Unsung Heroes here is Mr Gary Osborne Guys, first of all, thank you for coming on our podcast Unsung Heroes Well, thank you for being the one who did all the (laughs) travelling You tried to entice me down to the uh, studio I know on several occasions but I I had to to hang out for you coming to visit me. Uh, well, it's very kind of you, and it's lovely to be here. I know some fascinating people, you obviously being one of them. So basically, we just wanted to have a chat with you about your life, about what your interests are, about what your, your musical interests, about you, your history. This is my specialist subject for Mastermind, myself. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to talk about myself? It must be very difficult to get people to, in this business to talk about themselves, Because <laughs> eh? we're all so modest. <laughs> <laughs> We're all so shy, aren't we? Well, especially you, guys. Okay, especially. I'm especially shy. Yeah, so I've, I've got a few questions. that um, Go for and, it. And, I'll ignore them. And if there's anything you're not sure about or, and you want to ask us, please fire away. Okay. We're, we're here. We're all ears. So, guys, you were born in 1949. Oh, you had to mention that. Ish. Yes, ish. let's say yes. Definitely 1949. Yeah, and you're the son of... A musical director called Tony, Tony Osborne. Osborne. Yes, my, my fabulous father. He was an arranger, conductor, composer. He's got two Ivan Novellos and uh, amazing and a fantastic pianist and a brilliant bloke. Dad worked with uh, all the big stars of the day in the late fifties and early sixties. Um, Shirley Bassey. He worked uh, famously with uh, "I Who Have Nothing." Uh, that was the first session I ever went to when I was about 12 or 13. I, you know, bring, go to work with Dad Day. Can you imagine? And Amazing. Abbey Road, about a 50 or 60 piece orchestra, including Timps, Shirley singing live with the orchestra, George Martin up in the box producing, and I'm just sitting there quiet as a mouse. Wow, why the hell would I want to do anything other than yeah. this with yeah. my life? So that's what I'd done. And how old were you then? Then I was about 13, but I'd already decided to be a songwriter. We had a, we had a flat down on the coast 
And uh, uh, in the same block, there was also Norman Newell, who's also a famous sod, famous songwriter, who wrote 16 songs for Shirley Bassey. He wrote, more than the greatest love the world will know. But he was also a top producer. My dad worked with him all the time. And also in the same block was a guy called Cyril Ornadel. Cyril Ornadel wrote the uh, musical Pickwick. He was the conductor of Sunday Night at the London Palladium. And he wrote, uh, if I ruled the world, things like that. Mm. And we're having this party, I'm about eight. And uh, Norman Newell said, uh, I'm just going to go out now, Gary. I'm going to go and visit Uncle Cyril downstairs. I'll be back a little bit later. I said, okay. So I said, what are you going to do, Uncle Norman? He said, I'm going to go and write a song. So he got back about an hour later. And three months later, when the song called Portrait of My Love was in the top three by Matt Monroe. There will never be a portrait of my love. I said, Dad said, that's the song Norman wrote that day. I said, is this making a lot of money? Is this making a fortune? It's, it's number three in the charts. I said, but it was only gone an hour. And that was the very moment I decided to become a songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, these are the guys. The people around my house, Lionel Bart was around the house a lot. Yeah. There were lots of songwriters, lots of musicians, lots of uh, uh, great uh, musical turns. Uh, Dad also conducted the last concert that Judy Garland ever did. Wow. Um, Johnny Mathis, Eartha Kitt. Um, uh, uh, he toured with Eartha for a couple of years. And wow. around my, these were the people around my house all the time. It was... the. Frankie Vaughan or, uh, you know, Alma Cogan. Yeah. I grew up with all these people around and I was always going to be in this business or I was always going to try. Yeah. And um, so what was the first song that you wrote? When, when did you start writing? What, well, what I, was, I went to school in Switzerland and uh, when I was 15, I came home for the long summer holiday and there was a, a really great record that was in the charts uh, a French record and I loved this record so I bought it for my dad to play mum and dad when I got home uh, on the plane I realized that they weren't they didn't speak French so they weren't going to know what the song was about so I started uh, translating it but of course because I've grown up with a musical sensibility around songwriters, you can't translate. The rhymes don't work, the scans don't work, the stresses don't work. So I started rewriting the lyric, keeping the meaning, but making it work like a proper song, just so I could play it to mum and dad. When I played it to them, they said, bloody hell, that's good. They, 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 they found out who the publisher was. It happened to be someone dad knew. Um, uh, down at Robin's Music, Stuart Reed, he was called. Took me, they took me down there and said, look, look, Gary's written a lyric to this, to this, you publish it, can you use it? He said, he said, Hal Shaper, who's a very famous songwriter at the time, his big song was, um, Softly, I will leave you, softly. Sinatra did it, Matt Monroe again. He said, Hal Shaper's done, just done a lyric to it. But I really, I really like Gary's lyric. He said, here's a, Here's another French tune. Go and write that, and if I like that, I'll give you an advance. This is the first week of my holiday. In the second week, Hal Shaper phoned me up. He said, I've just seen the lyric you wrote to the song that I wrote one to. I said, yeah. He said, well, yours is better than mine. And I've got, I'm a publisher too, and I've got some foreign songs. Will you come in? So now I'm writing, I'm 15, it's a now week two of my holiday, I'm writing songs for two publishers. 15? I thought, this is good, this, I'm, uh, this is it. I always wanted to be a songwriter. Started, uh, I wrote a little song of my own. My dad's publisher sent it off, got a cover in Germany mm -hmm. by Nana Muscuri, who was a very big actor yeah, at the time. I'm talking about 1964. So I'm now like week four, and I've got a, a record out in Germany. I've got two publishers commissioning me. Dad's writing the music for a movie called Every Day's a Holiday, a holiday camp film where all the stars, John Layton, Mike Sam, um, Mitch Murray's wife, Grisina Frame, isn't it? Freddie and the Dreamers were in it, the Mojos were in it. It was a British pop film. Yeah. And all the British character actors, uh, Nicholas Parsons, Michael Ripper, you know, all the, all the guys were in it. And... Uh, all finished with them all getting together and winning the talent competition. And loads of people were allowed to submit a song for this. And Kenny Lynch submitted one. He just had uh, Sha La 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 Lee with the small faces. Um, Mort Schumann, the great Mort Schumann of, of, of so many wonderful uh, Elvis songs. He, he'd written one. Dad and I wrote one. They chose our song. 
So now week six of my eight-week holiday, I've got a song in a movie. Gosh. And I, I went to the session, and uh, John Paul Jones on bass, Jimmy Page on, on uh, second guitar, Big Jim Sullivan on first guitar. Mm. So I've got well, half of Led Zeppelin on my first recording. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> and of Big course, Jim Sullivan was... was uh, oh, he was yeah, great. He Jimmy Page used to play, do rhythm, and, and, and Jim would always play lead on Jim the sessions. Jim played for my, in my, my dad's band for Of a course while. he did. So, yeah. Of course he did. He was a wildcat. Yeah. And Brian was yeah, uh, Brian, yeah. Brian Bennett was yeah, a wildcat. Yeah, wow. Oh man! You, yeah. I mean, of course, that's why we love each other because we're both second generation. And we have history, don't we? And we uh, got the history. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So that was it. The end of the holiday came. The ten-week holiday. Yeah. And Dad says, "Well, I suppose it's time to go back to." I said, "Go back to Switzerland." <laughs> I said, "I want to be a songwriter." Yeah. Here am I actually accidentally being a songwriter. I mean, by the way, it was another ten years till I actually had a hit, but. I can't go back now. And he, he said, well, you're not even allowed to leave school yet. I said, yeah, but the people in England don't know I've left the Swiss school, and the people in Switzerland don't know I'm going, not going to an English one. So I just left school and... And that was it? ...started songwriting. Yeah. Amazing. It took an awful long time before I made any money at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you've got to start somewhere, and that was it. So it was a beautiful accident, really. Amazing. Everything, if there's a theme in my life, it's luck. Yeah. Just luck. Because if I hadn't... It, well, it's the same with all of us, I think, Gaz, isn't it? We, we all have that lucky break. Obviously, mine was Mickey most. Well, luck, luck is when... Uh, that success is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah. Uh, and the luck, I happened to be able to do the, the, the songs that were given to me to do. That yeah. was the luck, you know, yeah. that was the preparation. Yeah. The luck was being given them. I mean, when first song I wrote with Elton, totally, totally, I came right out of the blue, was... How did that happen? How well, did we, 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 were, we were mates because Kiki's first hit, Kiki was the first signing to El Elton's label, Rocket Records. Yep. And Kiki, Elton produced her first album. Yeah. And the first hit was Amoureuse. It was what a, a very pretty French love song. What a beautiful song. lyric to. And um, uh, so it was Elton's first hit as a producer. And he was just every bit as excited as, as I was because it was something that he'd never done before and he was having you know that validation of people going out putting money on the counter to buy it that's the most incredible humbling thing by yeah, the way yeah. so uh, Kiki's first hit Rocket Records first hit so we, we bonded and we were chums yeah. so we'd been hanging out together for a couple of years he'd, we'd, we'd played a lot of poker we uh, I don't think it's any secret we took a lot of drugs. Yeah. I'm not proud of that, but that's what happened. I'm very glad I don't do that anymore, unless you've got any on you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, one night, I don't know, three or four in the morning, he, he went and sat down at my dad's grand piano. He said, what do you think of this tune? And just played this tune. And I said, oh, God, that's beautiful. He said, I don't usually write tunes. He said, I, I get given a lyric by Bernie. Yeah. And I turn, I get given a poem by Bernie, and I turn the poem into a song. Mm. He said, well, here's a tune, and it needs turning into a song. Do you fancy having a go at it? And I said, well, oh, hold on, I said, because uh, I really wouldn't want to upset Bernie, but, you know. And, and so, I, so up until that point, Bernie had written everything. Everything. Elton hadn't written a song with anybody. With anyone else. Anybody at all. Uh, there's an oblique reference to this in the movie where, he, where Bernie and him are having a little row and he says, well, I think I'll write with somebody else then. He said, why don't you? Well, that was me. Bernie, incidentally, went off and wrote with Alice Cooper at that stage. Bernie was living in L.A. And they were never as estranged as people imagined. But the, the distance, you know, 12,000 miles between. Yes. And basically, Elton fancied trying it the other way around. Yeah. Tunes first, which is what I do. Yeah. And it's not what Bernie does. But when he gave me that, um, that tune, he told what I think, what I suspect, I don't know for sure, I suspect was a, a lie. Because I said, well, what about, you know, I wouldn't want to step on Bernie's toes because that's Torp Torpin and John, you know, for me yeah. to write. Yeah. But I thought, just to write one song with you would be brilliant on my CV. Yeah. You know? He said, no, it's okay. I, I've played it to Bernie and he couldn't come up with anything. Now, I'm not sure whether that was true. But at least it allowed me 
the freedom to say, well, I'll have a go. I casually said, yeah, well, I'll give it a shot when I've got the time, you know. Yeah. So he knew I could do it. Yeah. But of course, if it, when he gave me that tune, and he said, oh, see if you can come up with anything. And I very casually said, yeah, well, you know, when I've got the time, I'll give yeah, it a shot, yeah. you know. And of course, second he left at four o'clock, five minutes past four, I got the pen out, the rhyming dictionary, the tape recorder, and it was all done by, by six in the morning. You know, I was, this, is the, this, this could be the biggest break of my life. Actually, it turned out to be that. Yeah. Incredible. The, the tune, he, he had, was semi-retired at the time and he hadn't written with Bernie for, for a, a year or so and he hadn't written anything. And he had to do the Morecambe Wise Christmas show. Now, this was the biggest rated TV show that's ever been yeah. on. Huge, their, their, their Christmas yeah. shows were massive and this Huge. was the biggest of their shows. It was the one where uh, all, all the newscasters sung There's Nothing Like a Dame. Yes, yes. And Elton spelt yeah. the, spent the whole time through the show trying to find the studio. They'd yeah. worked out yeah. it was too expensive for them. So they'd given him the, the wrong, uh, uh, you know, he walked through and there's Kenneth Kendall reading the news and Kenneth, he says, yeah. look, do you know where this studio is? Yeah, and yeah. But, and they, he said, through that door and he walks through the door and falls in the river. Yeah. <laughs> and at the end, the credits roll. <laughs> and Elton had told me I had the song in them. Can you imagine? I'm in a room and all my family's in the other room and everyone I know has been told that I have written a song with Elton and it's nobody believed it yeah. because Elton didn't write with anybody else yeah. well when he wrote with me I was a jingle singer yeah. you know I was doing it and my biggest hit at that point was got it all a going got my savings growing got the Abbey habit with Abbey National the credits rolled and I thought oh my god they've cut it I am never going to be able to leave this room Ever again, I am too embarrassed. After the credits, Elton comes in and there's Morecambe and Wise dressed as cleaning ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, Excuse me, Mrs. Morecambe. Oh, you've missed it. You've missed it. They were very good. <laughs> they were very good. I like the short one. Oh, the gun with glasses. <laughs> dressed as cleaning ladies. He said, But I was, I was, I was going to sing a song, a new song. He said, Oh, we'd have to take that with them. He said, Well, well I'm here now. Do you want to hear it? And without answering, they both shrugged their shoulders like, mm, <laughs> if you must. So he sat down and played my song. And at the end of it, as the music died away, he said, that was what I was going to play on the Morecambe and Wise show. <laughs> and Eric Morecambe says, it's a good job you didn't. <laughs> so we went in to demo it. We went in to demo it. Oh, and crazy. as we're demoing it, he writes another tune in the coffee break. So I took that away and came back with another lyric. So he demoed that, he wrote another tune. And suddenly, f five years had gone by and we've written 35 songs, spread over five albums, Incredible. including some hits, Part Time Love. Little Genie was a million seller in the States, well, not so big here, but yeah. it's a month in, in the top three in, in uh, the States. Blue Eyes, of course, thank God, the one that bought the house. Yeah. And. Um, <laughs> Some B-sides and some songs for movies, and it was just the greatest roller coaster, greatest roller coaster. And then one day, the record company said, "Look, not sales aren't what they were." Well, by this time, he'd made twenty-five, thirty albums, and you're fighting your own back catalogue at yeah. this point. You know, are people going to buy the thirty-fifth Elton John album, twenty-fifth Elton John album, or are they going to get the second Pretenders album? You know, you've already got three yards of Elton John albums in your collection, literally. Well, not yards, but three feet of them. Yeah. Incredible. So, uh, and the, the record company said, look, why don't you just uh, bring the old band back together and just do it with Bernie and it's the old life. Didn't, they didn't sell anymore. Uh, three of the albums, Bernie and I had half songs each. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure it was just a coincidence, but I had all the singles. Yeah. So, no coincidence. Uh, yeah, no coincidence. No, listen, I had the greatest respect uh, and affection. Do you, do you know Bernie? I know yeah, Bernie. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I think he went off me. We were friends. Oh, okay. But uh, not great close buddies, but we were mates, you yeah. know. Uh, well, I think he kind of went off me yeah. uh, when I was <laughs> writing with him. I, I don't think yeah. he was mad about it. Uh, his manager once said, Bernie like, quite likes you, uh, but we do kind of wish you didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a nice thing to say. I didn't know, it, but I understood. You know, I always felt like the cuckoo in the nest. Yeah, but yeah. you got to remember, we were writing the, the other way around, yeah. and that was why it was an addition rather than a replacement. And then basically, he just went back to writing it the other way. Yeah. 
And that was me out of a job. Yeah. And people say, uh, oh my God, aren't you so upset, you know, not to be writing without me anymore? Well, of course, part of me is because it was the most wonderful experience. Yeah. But then I, I look at the house I live in and I say, how can I be upset? Blue, one song bought this bloody house. Incredible. How, what an ungrateful bastard I would be if I was going to be upset. I was lucky. Mm. I thought it was going to be one song. Yeah. So it turned out to be 30 or 40. I'm, I'm luckiest man on earth. When you wrote with Elton, did he give you a steer as to what the lyrics should be about or was it a blank page? Uh, I, it, 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 I've written with lots and lots of people. Some of my nicest songs were written with Richard Kerr. You must do him. He's yeah. beautiful songs like Mandy he wrote and yeah. Looks Like We Made It. And I know I'll never love this way. I've written with all sorts of people, but never anyone like Elton. Mm. Uh, and what he would do with me was when he was when he was putting it down on cassette for me, he would sing a dummy lyric. He would sing the first thing that came into his head. And I would either take a steer from that yeah. or completely ignore it. And very often I would take my steer from what he... Just the... He'd go, Blue Eyes. That was his title. Yeah. Blue Eyes. I'd say, can I change the title? Can I change... He said, you can change anything. But that was the one time he wouldn't let me change the title because he was, he was going out with a boy with blue eyes. Yeah. Very nice lad. No longer with us. Fan. Very nice. Uh, and uh, it was his song for him. And... Um, so, you know, and he, uh, so he would, he would sing some words and I would take one line yeah. because what I was trying to do was put, you see, he had been singing Bernie's life. He had been singing Bernie's feelings. Yes. He'd been yeah. singing Bernie's thoughts. Yeah. And I wanted to put a little bit more of himself yes. into yes. the songs. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, this is a song. Uh, and he said, dear God, dear God, blah, 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 da, 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 dear God, da, da, da. I can see where the title's coming. It makes it a lot easier if you get given a title and you like it. Yeah. But that, before I could write that, I didn't want to write about what I felt about God. So I had a long discussion. How did you feel about God? What are your feelings? And I tried to then put that into yeah, the song. Yeah, yeah. And I did that over and over again because it was a project for me, you know. Yeah. And uh, the day he wrote, uh, but it's, you know the Yellow Brick Road album, which is about 25 songs and probably his best ever album and including uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, uh, Goodbye, uh, Goodbye Norma Jean. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's just hit after uh, uh, Saturday Night's Right for a Fight, Someone Saved My Life Tonight. This is an incredible, every tune he wrote in one weekend. Bernie gives him a stack of lyrics. He puts it up on the, uh, on the piano and he tinkers around. And if in five to 10 minutes he's got a song, then that's the song. And if he hasn't, it goes in the bin. Wow. And he just did, you know, I guess maybe about a dozen the first day, a dozen the second day. You wouldn't think that's... No. I mean, I've, I've never even thought about writing from a lyric. That, that, for me, is a really strange, yes. archaic way of writing. But then, with the tunes first, I, I went down, he said, oh, we've got to write some songs, why don't you come down to the house at one o'clock? So I arrived there at one, uh, and I was about, about an hour late, because of the traffic, I got there at two. He said, oh, a bit late, are you? I said, oh, I'm sorry about that. He said, I started at one. I said, how's it going? He said, oh, I've got five tunes for you. Five bloody tunes in an hour. He played me them all, each one. I recorded them. And then I went home and spent three months yeah. doing lyrics to what had taken him one hour yeah. to do. No, and no. of those five songs, um, there was three album tracks, one B-side. No, three album tracks, one B-side, one song which went up in the movie, and Blue Eyes. Mm -hmm. And that was the one I didn't like. It's amazing how a song grows on you once it's bought a house. <laughs> I thought, stop it. See, what he used to do, he used to give me a tune. <laughs> it's a stunning tune, though, Gaz. Oh, it's beautiful, it, 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 but it's I thought it was stopping. He'd give me a tune. I remember, I remember you telling me about um, him recording the vocal on it. It, it, it. He did five goes at it. Five goes, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, but, but because he'd given me five songs, I did them in the order of which I liked them. And also because sometimes he'd give me a tune and I'd come back with a lyric that I'd sweated over yeah. and he'd say, no, I've gone off it. And he wouldn't look, even look, he would not even look at the lyrics, I've gone off that tune. Well, I, I'm not going to say, well, I did say you bastard, you know, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not going to get too angry because, you know, I'm, yeah. it's Elton John, it's his prerogative, yeah. you know. <laughs> So I've, my, now, my trick was now to work out which song he'd, he wouldn't want. 
And I thought, that's the one he's not going to want, that mm. one, really. It's all soppy and he's loved up with this boy. And yeah, as soon as yeah. he's finished with the boy, he'll finish with the song. And so I kept putting it off. And I did the other four. And it's so long ago, it was before email. It was, it was, we were communicating by telex. Remember mm. telex? Mm. And he, he kept saying, have you done Blue Eyes yet? And I said, no, but I, I, I'm, I'm working on Ball and Chain. It's all right. Have you done Blue Eyes yet? And eventually, a cassette arrived in the post. He did the backing track without a lyric to, set, to let me know that he meant business. Yeah, yeah. And I got this backing track. It's only a, quite a short song. And I thought, Christ, if he could send that to me, he could send it to Bernie. I'd better be quick. Yeah, yeah. So I went out in Regent's Park. And two hours later, I came back and telexed him the lyric, yeah. which is not as clever as it sounds because there's only two verses in it. But then he did five shots at the vocal. He, he did one that, that sounded a bit like Elvis. Yeah. And one that sounded a bit like Dean Martin. <laughs> one that was a bit like Fats, Fats Domino. Yeah. Uh, with the triplets. And one that sounded like... And the, end, the one he ended up with, it was one that's... Oh, he did one that sounded just like Elton John. Yeah. But the one he's got sounds a bit like all of them. It's a, it's a little bit elvis a little bit, a little bit Dean Martin, he always yeah. croony. I'm so, I'm, so, I'm so glad, I'm so <laughs> glad that he, that he did do it. Yeah. And when they said that it's going to be the first single, I said, you're mad, don't put that out as a single. That's so corny. It's so corny. Yeah. So... Good job I was wrong about that. Uh, yeah. And what a beautiful um, string arrangement. Lovely, lovely. Oh, uh, was it James Newton Howard? I think it was James... I think it was James Newton Howard. Wow. Um, Stunning. Uh, but the whole production. Who, who, who went on to become like an Oscar-winning... He does TV uh, and... Movie the, scorer. Yeah. You know. uh, he, he came up with the, the theme from ER, and then it was... It was I mean, they, they had a night of him at the... He was in Elton's band, James... But now he's one of the, the along with Hans Zimmer, yeah. uh, the top, top guys, yeah. and John Williams, top, top guys in movies, mm. movie scores. So was, uh, did Gus Dudgeon uh, produce? Or? No, uh, that was Chris Thomas. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh, I only worked with Gus once because uh, Elton, had, Elton had parted even with Davey on the first yeah, album we did. Wow. It was called A Single Man. And Elton produced himself oh, okay. on that first album. Yeah. Which, well, Chris was an amazing producer. Uh, well, he, he produced himself on a couple of albums that I was associated with. Uh, he, he and Clive Franks, his engineer, yeah. uh, who was a wonderful guy in the studio, also played bass on a lot of the tracks well, from the desk. Mm -hmm. But it, the two of them, they were very good. But you know, produ producing Elton's time... He's talent rich and time poor. Yeah. That's why he doesn't write his own lyrics. He's talented enough to write them. But they take a lot longer. Yeah. You've got to polish them. You've got to move them about. You've got to, you know, a tune, yeah. when you sing it, it can take as long to, to write as it takes to sing. Yes. Which yeah. indeed is how he works. He yeah. sings a tune, comes out of his head, and he plays it again. If he can remember it, then it must have been good. Third time, that's it. That's the song. Put the paper away. That's it. Amazing. But, it? So, so Elton produced his own. But in fact... Um, he insisted that I get a production point on the albums that he was producing himself because oh. I took care of a lot of the backing vocals because I'd been a, a backing vocalist yeah. and he didn't have Davey D and Nigel anymore. Yeah. And also when he wasn't there, I would sit, sit in the seat and yeah. you know pretend to, uh, to, to, I knew what I was doing. And yeah. So I produced yeah. the horns on Little Genie and, yeah. uh, and things like the backing vocals. On, mm. on, um, but then Chris Thomas came in, who's a fantastic, what a track record, Chris Incredible. Thomas, who starts out as George Martin's assistant, ends up producing half the White Album, as a Amazing. kid who's never done anything before. Yeah. In that, you know, what a, a learning curve. Goes on to produce The Pretenders, Brass yeah. in the Pocket, Roxy Music, yeah. uh, all the Sex Pistols hits, the pulp hits, common people, uh, anarchy in the UK. What a breath and blue. You would think that the guy who produced uh, uh, I Am an Antichrist also produced Blue Eyes, which is, you know, yeah. this is just... Oh, an incredible talent. He, I, I remember Chris from years ago and um, when, I was, when I was producing in um, uh, Kimmy uh, at Rack, I'd go up to, I, I, at that time I was going out with um, 
a lady that was working at Air Studio. So I'd be out there quite a lot. And right. Chris was always there. And he's yeah. working with the Pretenders at that time. Yeah. And, um, and with Bill Price on engineering. Another great yeah, engineer. Yeah. And Renata was there at the time. Renata well. doing a, a tape-op. Yeah. So, yeah. In and, the uh, movie, she's been promoted to engineer, but she was a tape-op. Yeah, yeah. Nothing and, wrong um, with being a tape-op. No, but we, I, I got to know like, all the guys at Air yeah. and, and, and George, uh, George Martin and, and everyone. And it's a wonderful time. And, but Chris was always one of my heroes. And, and whenever I spoke to him, I always felt a little bit nervous. And yet he was probably more nervous than you. He's oh, not he, uh, a bombastic crazy. guy in any way. I loved him. I think it's doing the Human League stuff. Fascination, I think it was. Keep feeling fascination. Could be, time. although their original stuff, certainly the big... Early stuff was Martin Martin Russian Martin yeah, Russian. Right. I used to work with at Advision. Yeah. Well, I think when that I was a, that, when yeah. I was a term. It was post uh, Martin Russian, but yes. and then he, they they were trying different. Just things, so. the greatest, a lo- lovely bloke. And uh, when we were working at Air in Montserrat, mm. of course uh, the. the 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 desk is looking towards the studio, yes. but there, there's a mirror out mm. onto the pool mm. and beyond it the mountains. I remember it. I, I went on the holiday, and of course those mountains yeah. ended up Stunning. erupting. Yes, and, and buried up. the whole. They blew up, place. buried the yeah. whole island, yeah. let alone the Tragedy. studio. Yeah, tragic. Yeah. But he was always, always looking out the window. It was like he wasn't interested in the session. He mm. was just looking out the window. I said to, I said to him one day. Do you mind me asking, Chris, what is it out there that's so fascinating that you spend all your time looking out that window? He said, well, actually, I'm deaf in one ear. All I'm doing is keeping the one that works towards the speakers. I never knew that. Isn't that incredible? Totally deaf in his left ear. So he wasn't looking out the window. He was just turning his right ear towards the speakers. The last time I saw Chris was at the Gold Badge Awards when Kimmy was there. Yeah. And... um, and that was the last time I saw him, and and, uh, and he came up to me. He goes, "Do you remember me?" I said, "Yeah, I do." You know what though? And it was so as great a guy as he is, right? This is about me. So let's <laughs> so screw him, <laughs> screw him, screw you, Chris. If you're listening to this, I've talked about you long enough. I bet he's not talking about me. <clears throat> Can I ask you something, Gary? Well, yeah, please. You mentioned, do. <laughs> you mentioned earlier about your dad winning uh, a couple of Ivan Novellos. Yes. Yeah. Um, I believe you got one, but. Slightly belatedly. You've been on on Google. There's a little story I read in interview. It's a fantastic story. It is. A, it's, a, it's a fantastic story. My dad won uh, two Ivers. He was nominated four times and won twice. Uh, and uh, the the uh, the statuette is so beautiful. And um, do, do you remember when you've got loads, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, do you, do you remember when he, when he won those awards? 60, 59 and 61. Uh, the, the, one of them was a song called Windows of Paris, and it was the, it was the theme song of the Drive Time show on the light program. It was, he was in the light orchestral uh, department of the Ivers. Light orchestral was a very big thing in the early, uh, late 50s, mm-hmm. early 60s. Anyway... Cut to several years later, uh, when the War of the Worlds uh, had its big success in 78, and um, uh, the people at Basca clearly didn't bother to listen to it. They just knew it was selling bucket loads of records. They thought they'd be able to give it a prize. Mm. So they gave Jeff Wayne uh, an Ivor for, for that. But, of course, it's for the writers, and, and there are uh, half a dozen guest artists, and they're all singing my bloody words. Mm. But I wasn't offered an Ivor. I wasn't even invited. Uh, actually, I actually wrote to them and said, you know, this is, you wouldn't give Sullivan without Gil, but you wouldn't give Backrack without David. You know, mm. this is not fair. And they said, you're right, it's not fair. Uh, sorry about that, uh, but... Uh, we don't correct these things if they go wrong. It's just going to suck it up. So I sucked it up. But a couple of years later, I joined the Ivers Committee. Yeah. You were chairman of the... And went on after about 10 years to become the chairman of the, of yeah. the committee for a, for a dozen years. So when my dad left to emigrate to Australia, he gave both the Ivers to my sister. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And I always kind of thought, well, he got two. You could have given us one each. But he said, no, he says, you're a songwriter. You can get your own. Uh, like as if you can I mean it's very <laughs> rare to get an Ivor it's almost unheard you know it's, yeah. it's yeah. massively difficult yeah. some great writers have never had an Ivor you know and I said oh I couldn't argue with him you know it was his to give to my sister and it was kind of nice that he did yeah. anyway a couple of years later I'm, I'm the chairman of the Ivors and a guy called Pete phoned up from Croydon phoned up Basker and said I've got an Ivor Novella award uh, and I've had it for 10 years, as using it as a doorstop. But I said, I, I, I think it's probably worth a few, Bob, and I'm going to put it up for sale. But before I do, I should offer it to the guy whose name's on it. And they said, uh, well, whose name's on it? They said, Gary Osborne. Well, they burst out laughing. They said, no, 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 his name is definitely not on it because not only has he never had an either, he's been bitching about it for <laughs> like 30 years. He's been bitching about this for 30... The people at the committee used to talk about some of the guys had Ivers that were on the committee. I didn't, they, but they, they always said that I had a virtual Ivor because all, technically I should have won one on Ivor, never did, yes. so get over it. <laughs> well, I went down to Croydon to see this thing and it was very wackery and it was falling apart, but there was my name. So I, this is 32 years later. I, 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 he said, do you want to buy it? I said, no, you, you know, he reckoned he could get about a grand for it. And I, as the chairman of the Ivers, knew they cost us 450 to make. Hmm. So I said, no, I, I said, I'm empowered to offer you 450 for it for the, for, for the songwriters organisation. Hmm. But I wouldn't recommend you, you take that off if you can get more. Hmm. Get more, you hmm. know. At least I know it exists and maybe yeah. I can make them make me a new one now that they've seen what had happened was that the PRS used to organize the making of the awards so although Basker had not put me down for an award mm. the PRS who make the award had gone through the files and seen that alongside Jeff Wayne's name was my name so they'd naturally assumed yeah. that I was supposed to happen it had gone down to the Grosvenor house to be presented but I wasn't there so when everybody's had their Ivers there's one left and I think one of the cleaners took it's it or the one of the waiters because nobody knows where it was for 20 years no, this guy had it for 12 wow. but nobody knows where it was for the you didn't even know it existed did, i didn't know it existed i would have insisted they make me a replica then he phoned me up and he said hey, i've been thinking about this i think i could get more than 400 but there's only one person that should have this and that's you uh. Can, you get, so can you get me the 400? I said, no, I can get you the 450, which is what they cost us to yeah, make. Yeah. So I went and picked it up and brought it in to the office and they all saw it and they gave parted with the cheque for the guy. So he was quite happy and there was the Ivor. 
And then they said, now, are you going to get this presented at the Ivers? I said, oh, yeah, that's great. I'm the chairman of the Ivers. I sit down at the meeting and I say, right, first thing we can do is give me an award. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. We don't do that. Yeah. But what was very nice was my friend Lewis Carney, who runs Radio 2, mm. they had a... a Friday night is music night, which is just a brilliant show on Friday nights with the whole con BBC concert orchestra. They had an Ivan Novello special. Mm -hmm. Mike Batt performed mm -hmm. and also conducted the orchestra, oh. and it was a, a, a wonderful, yeah. uh, wonderful event. And in the middle of it, they presented it to me live on the air. Paul Gambaccini, who was oh. hosting the show and is the host of the Ivers. Yeah. And Paul presented it to me in front of this 60-piece orchestra, in Amazing. front of this lovely... Uh, and wonderful. Uh, gave me this award yeah. 32 years later. Oh, and the guy, I think, that sold it to you. He got it on a car boot sale, didn't he? Yeah, he'd got it for 50 quid in a car, car boot sale. But nobody knew where it was until that car boot sale. It was about a 20-year gap that nobody knew where it was. Incredible. And Incredible. The, the only sad part about it is that that makes me and my dad the only father and son in yeah. the 65 years of the Ivers we're the only father and son or the only first and second generation mm. to have won an Iver yeah. and he died without knowing yeah. that I had got it and that when he said to me oh you can get your own I actually already had yeah yeah, because that was 1980, and I should yeah. have got the, given it in 1976. But it sounded like he had belief that you would get one anyway. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. I I I don't know if he believed in me that much. Uh, I kind of proved myself that I I could make a living at it by the yeah. time he uh, mm. he uh, snuffed it. Bless him. I, uh, I I I didn't have a tenth of his talent. I don't have you know. I mean, but that's that's fantastic. That's you know. I mean, he was a. You know, beautiful man. He was one of those proper musicians like Les Reed, mm. who our dear friend who just died. You know, sit down, you want to hear a tune, doesn't matter. Whatever song you want to play. Richard Kerr, when he sits down to play Mandy, you think, what a brilliant pianist. Great Ask nice. him to play any other song that he didn't write. He, won't, he wouldn't know where to begin. But people like my dad, and of course they read the dots. Yeah. They read the yeah, chords, yeah. they do arrangements, the arrangers are the unsung heroes of our business. That's who you want to yeah. interview. Talk about unsung heroes, arrangers, someone like Richard Hewison you want to yeah, interview. Yeah. You'll interview Mike Batt eventually and he's a great arranger. Mike's already agreed to do it, yeah, bless him. He's a great I, arranger. I can't wait to And he'll have Mike. better stories than me, damn him. <laughs> so what the 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 the, the music the, the songs that won you the award was War of the Worlds. It was the entirety of the War of the Worlds. Did you have any idea that that would be you know sort of still no, being reinterpreted when, when, when now? I, when Jeff asked me to do the lyrics for this concept album was making, I thought maybe it would uh, you know I could see it was good, and we worked on it for a couple of years, and I could I could tell it was going really well, but I'd had. No hits, and I had, yeah, I'd had Amoureuse. But you know, the ratio of songs written to hits uh, hmm. uh, uh, was so short that I had gone beyond the point. In fact, I think it's a safety thing. You just don't expect anything to, to, to really be big because you're gonna be so disappointed. Of course. And yeah, the, the yeah. few times when I've actually thought, this is the one, this is gonna be, and then it isn't. And then Blue Eyes, which I didn't like, when I said, don't put it out, hit in every country in the world you know so you, you don't know you write we write songs the public make hits yeah we don't make hits i mean of course you need a bit of help you need a dave most you need a good plugger you yeah, need a yeah, record yeah. company behind you, and you need a bit of luck yeah but what the world is still being that. played you know and reinterpreted now and in you know well, enormous shows yeah oh yes it, it, it's just done um, it's 40 and, years old yeah. now it's just done uh, over christmas it did its seventh arena tour i mean uh, no, i went to see it at the uh, o2 there's a different cast each time mm. uh, jason donovan's been yeah. in it two yeah. or three times he keeps coming back in different roles because yeah. he loves he loves the show yeah. it's so it's so one it's the gift that keeps on giving for oh, me yeah. i thought maybe that might be i'd had so many you know, I'd made a couple of albums that hadn't, you know, the Orma, we'd had a small hit in the States, we'd had top three in a in, uh, single in Japan, you know, but then never actually it went, you know, you keep thinking, this is the big break, and you think, mm. and so you, you got your break early. Mm. 
I was very lucky. And so therefore, I, I always suspect that people who get a break too early think that that's the way it's done. The way it really is, is that you keep trying until something happens. And almost it's bad to happen immediately. You, you struggled a bit before. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so uh, I didn't expect it to, I didn't expect it to sell, what's it, 17 million copies? And, and five arena tours and people, kids know it. People, I mean, it, it's just a thrill for me to be associated also with the key song in it, which is yeah. Forever Autumn. Yeah. Stunning um, tune. But, uh, but that, that kicked off, wasn't that a jingle to kick yeah, off with? Yeah, uh, yeah. It started out as a Lego Toys commercial. See, luck again. And then it was uh, on an... Um, I had a partner and we were called Vigrass and Osborne and we mm -hmm. made a couple of albums and we were almost broke in America. Then bad luck happened. The guy who signed us, who loved us, who'd put us into the top 50, who'd spent a lot of money, who'd got us great reviews, he left to form 20th Century Records for Barry White and the new guy came in and the last act he was going to work on was the, the act that the previous guy was in the business, yeah. in the midst of making a hit. You, you know, the new broom wants to sweep clean, bring in his own discovery. He's, he's going to hide into nothing. If he made a hit, if he made stars out of us, the other guy was always going to get, get, the get credit. credit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, luck works both ways, and, and that's, that's fair enough. So nothing happened with Forever Autumn then? Well, it was the B-side of our small hit in the States, but in Japan they turned it over, and it was number three in the charts. Oh, OK. Uh, and we actually went and, and did gigs in Japan on the back of it. We were going to be the new side. With, with the same lyrics? With the forever yeah, exactly yeah. that it's song, the just, song, just taken a bit faster. Yeah, yeah. Just taken a, a bit faster, yeah. uh, very, you know, very similar. So uh, Jeff, Jeff produced that, did Jeff produce Jeff that? produced Vigrass and I. And that's, that was the connection between... See, Vigrass and I, we, we were mates and we started singing commercials for Jeff. Yeah. And Jeff was the biggest, the only other people comparable were Cook and Greenaway at that mm -hmm. stage in the early 70s. But we were singing, so Jeff wrote commercials day in, day out, but whenever he needed vocals, me and my partner Paul would either sing them, mm -hmm. or or I would, or we would book the singers. And of course, as the booker, I was booking myself. Mm. You know, so I got to of course. Uh, got all the good gigs, get, get a lot of yeah. nice gigs. Because yeah. although the the fee was fifteen quid for doing a session for an hour, which still in nineteen seventy one two was probably almost the average weekly wage, mm -hmm. but they paid us in those days. They paid us royalties every time the commercial was on. I had to take a pay cut to work with Elton John. I tell yeah. you, man, it was this was this was. I was in hog heaven with these commercials. Mm. But I mean, you name it. I was singing the gas ads against the electricity ads. Mm. The singers I was booking, people who became uh, David Essex, I was using Julie Covington. I was just used. Yeah. Julie sung Blue Band for me. David sung Pledge. Let the sun come into your life. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Bring me <laughs> yeah. the sun. I had little Linda Lewis singing the. Spangles commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Here we come with something new. Spangles made them just for you, sucker. Spangles, get happy. And all these people. Elvis Costello, he did a bit, didn't he? Well, I I didn't hire him, but he 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 did. I think he did. Uh, oh, White's lemonade. lemonade. Oh, White's. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah secret lemonade drink. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. always very short notice. Jeff would phone me uh, in in the afternoon or the evening. Said, right for tomorrow, I need and the sessions. Because they're all done at short notice, they're all done in the morning, in the downtime, because all the sessions go, as you know, from 10 till 1, and from then from uh, 2 till 5, and yeah. then from 7 till... So they're three-hour clumps. Mm -hmm. So if you have to get into a studio at very short notice, you can always get in between 7 and 10 in the morning, mm -hmm. because no rock sensible musician wants to work before 10. Yeah. Um, but we do... So, we'd, so the, all the musicians would come in like... Seven, Ray Cooper and all the various mm, musicians. Yeah. They'd go Amazing. after an hour. We'd come in and do the singing. Then Richard Briers or someone like that would come in and do the voiceover, and that's another commercial. Yeah. And when I was totally stuck, and I could not get the singer, and the session is now going to be at eight in the morning, I'd go down to Speakeasy, which was the club that all the people in the business went to, in Margaret Street and so on. I'd go down there about midnight, and I'd find a bloody singer. They asked me, do you remember Resurrection Shuffle by Ashton Gardner and yeah, Dyke? Yeah. That was in the charts. They said, we want it to sound like that guy. 
I could not get, I'm on the phone, all the guys that sound a bit like Tony Ashton, I couldn't get them. Not for 10 minutes, eight the next morning. Everyone loved working for me because it was only an hour's work, but they got royalties. Yeah. But I couldn't get anyone, so I went down the speakeasy. Who was playing there? Ashton Gardner and Dyke. Tony, I've got a little something for you. He didn't even go to bed. We left there at four, went and had a cup of tea, went to the studio, he sang the commercial. And said, did you get someone like Tony Ashton? I said, yeah, I got Tony Ashton. <laughs> Graham Bonnet I got, who, who, who was, uh, since you've been gone, he was the lead singer for Rainbow at the time. I had him, same thing, copped him down the speakeasy. Amazing. It was a great, very yeah. exciting, yeah, lovely yeah. time. Yeah. You were A&R at RCA for a while? Yes, I started out there. You see, you can't, you, you have to make a living yeah. while you're waiting for a break. What was that transition like? Well, I, 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 you remember, remember I mentioned that I was doing song... Well, I don't know if you're going to cut it out, but I was writing lyrics for a publisher called Hal Shaper, mm -hmm. uh, a publisher-writer. And eventually, he offered me a job as his plugger. Now, it was a shit company, and they had no good songs. So I was plugging. I had to go around the BBC. I'm at 18 and try to get them to play songs that I hated, that, mm. were, that were rubbish. Yeah. And boy, what a lesson that was. Mm, mm. For a songwriter, every songwriter should be a plugger for a little while. You realise mm. what it's really about. Because if you, you've got the best song in the world, if you can't get it on the radio, forget it. Mm. It's over. And uh, so, so I used to go down there. In fact, I, got, I had my own radio show on the BBC World Service because one of the producers there took a fancy to me and got me doing that. But after six months of working for Hal Shaper, uh, RCA opened up and they got a great music man called Terry Oates uh, mm -hmm. to run it. And he hired me and Richard Kerr as his A&R men. Yeah. And so for a year, that was, those were the only two jobs I've ever had, the six months working for Hal yeah. Shaper as a yeah. plugger and the, uh, the year at RCA, and that was the only proper jobs I've ever yeah, had. Yeah. Incidentally, uh, Hal Shaper paid me £15 a week um, to be his plugger. And also, uh, because I was there on site, he would give me tunes to write lyrics mm. to. Mm. And we would do them together, often. He would start it and make me finish it. Mm. Or he would have me start it and he would finish it. Yeah. Now, he was a professional lyricist, and sitting with him seeing how you fill a page and how you 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 have give a song a beginning a middle and an end it was like a master class mm -hmm. i was getting mm -hmm. now when i left i discovered that this 15 quid a week i've been getting 10 of it had been an advance against royalties so i was actually working for a fiver a week mm. now my my fares and my sandwich at lunchtime came to about a fiver so i was basically working for him for nothing mm. for the whole six months but i always say i said this in his obituary i should have been paying him because i learned more in that six yeah, months yeah. i learned about the writing of a lyric yeah, yeah. So we can't sit around as uh, don black says that uh, Inspiration is for uh, losers, he says, you know, if it's got to be done by Thursday, it's got to be done by Thursday. Nice to hang around waiting for inspiration, but you've got to make it happen if it's got to be there. You, you know, you, you lose the gig. Yeah. You, you know, you want to do it or you want someone else to do it. You've got to do it. Yeah. So uh, five, five or a week, I was, uh, and that went on fairs, but it was an invaluable lesson. Yeah, yeah. Then I went to Terry Oates there. I was on 25 and luncheon vouchers. Wow. So that was pretty cool. You cracked it. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gary, what advice would you give to any budding songwriters and producers out there that, that are listening in now? Um, what, what would you, I mean, obviously the industry's changed a lot since yeah. you started. I mean, it's a different, it really different has. animal now. But, but what, what See, half of our business give? models collapsed. We used to make half our money from the, the plays and the sales yeah. and yeah. the performances and half from the sales of the records. And of course, when's the last time anyone bought a record? Mm. So that's not been good for us. The download thing, nobody ever made a penny on. Now it's looking like just because of the amount of people that are street screaming, streaming, even though we're getting a pittance, mm. it's a big pittance because there's a lot of pittances, yeah, yeah. you know, so we might be getting to a point. But of course also it's changed beyond reckon. Do you know that in last week's chart, the average amount of songwriters on a song was five. 
Amazing. Well, the, bearing in mind that no one's buying the record, and you've got to split now five ways, yeah, yeah. and you've got to cut the act in, even though they may not have had anything to do with the yeah. actual writing. Yeah. And and almost better off if they don't, if they just you just pretend to be writers, because when one of the things I think that, that lyrics, the standard of lyrics is not always so great these days, is that the act is so desperate to be. Then no one wants to be a singer. Hmm. It was good enough for Sinatra not to be a songwriter. It was good enough for Elvis, but they've got to be a singer-songwriter, even if they're not very good. I was mentoring at the Brit School yesterday, and I said to them, I said, you know, you. If you're a great singer, Aretha was not a songwriter. We don't think any less of her. No. She's the greatest voice of the 20th century. We don't think any less of her. We love her. I said, you know, don't expect to be good at this just because you want to be good at it. Mm. Don't even expect to be good at it because you're going to the Brit school and having me mentor you. Mm. And if your friend writes a better song than you do, record that. Record that song. Did I just shout? <laughs> yes, I did. I've talked a time because the standard wasn't all that great. Mm. And I'm thinking these people are going to have their hearts broken. But it seems that everybody gets a cut of the writing these days. If you, if you, you can be a remixer and add a different bass line. And, oh, it's fantastic. And, and, and you get a co co I was on the PM show and they asked me how come there were so many writers. I picked up Music Week, this is about five years ago, and I found Rita Ora's first hit. Mm. There were 11 writers on it. Now, in one song. Now, yeah. Now, they said to me, how is that possible? Mm. I said, well, I don't know how it happened on this one. But first of all, I see Berry Gordy's name. So they've sampled something from Motown. Right. So that's one down. Now, somebody, a couple of guys have got together and they've put some a backing track together. We call that the beats. Mm. And they've done that. And they've got a piece of the song because they've done, it's just a chord sequence and a drum pattern. That's what they've done. They bring in a top line writer. They bring in a top line writer that person is supposed to write the melody and the lyrics. Yeah. They, they write the melody and the lyrics. The melody's actually fine, but the lyrics aren't very good. So you bring in a second top writer. So the first guy's going to get the money. Mm -hmm. So you've got the two guys that have done the beats. You've got Barry Gordy. You've now got the top line writer. Now you've got the second top line writer. They come in. Now you need a bit of a guitar solo. But budget's tight, you know. There's not a lot of money. You want a good guitarist. Give him a piece of the song. Mm. So in comes the guitarist. Is that he how writes. It works, he it? plays it. I've, plays no, it. I've always wondered how it works. Plays a guitar solo. Yeah, that, was, uh, that all adds up. Brilliant. Yeah. But instead of saying, you know, that be a hundred quid, they yeah. say, well, we give you ten, five percent. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It goes on. Now we've forgotten the act. <laughs> I don't know if Rita Ora had anything to do with the writing of this song, but you want to get onto a Rita Ora album. You better put her in on the titles. She may have done and she may not have done. Mm -hmm. To hear these people talking about, oh, this song I wrote, this song I wrote, this song I wrote, and then you see and there were seven other people yeah, writing. Yeah. You wonder who did what. I don't want to disrespect her. She sung it perfectly well. I can't remember how it went. But you can see how this mushrooms oh, of course. to a point. Oh, sorry, did I forget the producer? Well, there's three producers, yeah. <laughs> they get a production royalty, but... They think they've contributed sufficiently to the structure of it. Mm. So that's another three. And suddenly you've yeah. got 11 writers. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing. Rita Ora didn't release a second album for almost five years. She's only just put it out last year, the second album. Hasn't done all that well, funnily enough. But her, value, her worth was estimated before the second album came out. She was... Uh, she was are supposed to be worth 10 million quid. Mm. Now, that's not come from record sales. I'm sure plenty of money has come from record sales, but that's from live performances. Yeah. That's from being a, a mentor on The Voice. Yeah. That's from advertising uh, this makeup. Yeah. That's from, from uh, being paid to wear, to wear this frock at this premiere. That is from all the, that might be from the tour, that might be from the t-shirts at yeah. the tour, the yeah. souvenir brochure, the, the souvenir key ring, the mug. She's worth, before the release of the second, from that one album, mm. worth 10 million quid. The other 11 writers, they're, they're driving cabs mm. to make a living. Yeah. Because you split a song 11 ways, mm. 
biggest hit in the world ain't going to give you much if you split it 11 ways, mm -hmm. you know. So, so it's how, a sad business then. So how, as a, a budding writer and producer, could, can you make a career out of it? Or can't you? I, you know, I, well, it's very difficult to make mm. a career out of it now. Uh, certainly as a writer. Mm. And what people do, because there's very little money actually in the writing, mm. or not, not as much money there, mm. what, there, as there was. I mean, I remember I was chairman of the Ivers, and I was conscious of the fact that I was giving these £450 much-coveted statuettes to people who had very little to do with the writing of the yeah, song. Yeah. But if they had a certain percentage of the song... Little Mix, I'm sure they're very talented, I'm sure they're very lovely, yeah. but the deal is, on a Little Mix song, they get 20%. They get 5% each of the writing, whether they did it or not. Or not, yeah. Before you even start, and, you know, that's a trade-off. I'd do it. I'd give it to yeah, them. If you yeah. and me write a song... You get, you get a cut on that album, and it's, it, it's not only, you know, just getting your name out, but it's, um, it's a prestige and, yes. and having and it on your And also, you can't make any money. I don't want to bring everything down to money, but everyone's got to eat. Mm. Uh, you cannot... But so I'm going to call it money. You cannot earn a living mm. uh, just out of just out of writing songs that you like and your mum likes. Mm. You have to connect with the public somehow. Mm. Yeah. And also, luck being so important, mm. if you don't have something out there, if you don't get onto that album track, there's no possibility of somebody listening to it and saying, yeah. oh, I think I'll do that song, or I think I'll phone that guy up. So the more out there you are, yeah. the more chance you've got of That's being opening doors. Yeah. But what happens now is that the, the days of just a guy who sits and writes a song, there are a few, there aren't many, yeah. and they're the guys who are really making the money because every time an act comes along, they get put with Egg White mm. or, uh, you know, you know, Beyonce's got an album, she sits down with some of these professional guys and she's got some idea, one line, a title, she's yeah, suddenly yeah. the writer of the whole song. Yeah. Um, Gary, can I just ask you, what music are you listening to now? What songwriters are you into? What kind of, what new stuff out there do you appreciate and love at the moment? Ah, uh, it's tricky. I, I recently turned 70 and I, I love music. I live for it. But, and I listen, I force myself. Remember, I was 12 years chairman of the Ivers mm. and therefore even though that was through between uh, you know my late 50s to, up until my late 60s and I would not normally be listening to what's happening now mm. we tend to focus in on the music we like and the kind of music we like and yeah. a lot of heritage acts are still going and I you know I'm still more likely to go home and put on a, 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 an album by the band than I am by anybody that's in the charts right now but but because I was actually chairing uh, best song musically and lyrically and chairing the Ivers I had to listen to everything yeah and so for a guy who in his late 60s I was right I had my finger on mm. all of, mm. but since I've stopped with that gig it's been blissful not to have to mm. I'm sorry <laughs> so I'm not listening to as many I'm more Radio 2 than Radio 1 I've got to mm. say yeah. uh, the song I love the most in recent times I think I made sure it got an, an Ivor before I left was um, I Wasn't Expecting That by Jamie Lawson mm. beautiful story Stunning, about yeah. The, the yeah. meeting the girl and having the kids and then cancer all telling and the beautiful tragic a beautiful tragic record mm -hmm. beautifully put uh, but I know I like and I like all the kinds of music remember I, also my wife is a singer so she's very big soul mm. and uh, uh, an amazing blues. singer she's well, fantastic got a very very black voice and so we've been married now 18 years and together 25 but I, I literally fell in love with her voice yeah, before I met her wow. and then well, which Jake, I had a song uh, Jake came with me to the last sods do oh yeah so right. she, oh so yeah, you heard Lawrence yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah so she's uh, yeah, you know you wouldn't she can sing any kind of she's a proper session singer so you know you want a vib you want it to sound yeah, white, yeah, you want to yeah. sound folky but yeah, her, she's what she likes to sing yeah. but I am more likely to go back and I'm steeped in the history of course because of my dad yeah so I'm as likely to spend the evening listening to Louis Armstrong mm. as I am to Muse or, yeah. or or whatever that that might be uh, more cool and more hip now yeah um 
Have you had enough of me yet? Do you know or? what? I, I think we've covered pretty much everything. I can, I can, as you can tell, this is my favourite subject, and I could talk about me. <laughs> it's a wonderful for subject. Hours and hours. And, and Gary, thank you so much for joining us, mate. It's been fascinating and, and lovely to hear your stories and lovely to hear you open your heart to us. And it's, well, it's beautiful. And I hope you come back and I'll tell you the truth. Instead of all the lies I told. <laughs> <laughs> we might just do that, mate. So, um, but thank you. Thanks, Ricky. Good luck. Lots of love. Love you. Love you too. Oh my God! Can you believe that, Gary Osborne? This guy, he personifies the unsung hero. He's been behind so many hits, worked with so many people. He's just worked with everyone, and still getting involved in music you look at the guy and it, you, the music just oozes out of his skin he's just lives and breathes it and it's beautiful to see someone so passionate uh, yeah I love it and I love him and thank you so much guys for being involved in this little project of ours and it's an honour to have you on our show um, thank you for joining us um, and I look forward to speaking to you all next week where we will be speaking to some more amazing writers and people behind the scenes lots of love to you all have a great week you have been listening to unsung heroes with me ricky wilde jake wood and lee bennett produced and created by myself and jake wood for wildwood productions with music and editing again by myself ricky wilde artwork by scarlet wilde and hosted by Acast. just to remind you that there is a link in the notes directing you to a spotify playlist featuring all the songs we have discussed in this episode many thanks for listening Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.